Hey, so uh, good morning, Christ Fellowship. I'm Jamie Miller. I'm the lead pastor here at Christ Fellowship, and so glad I get to do what I get to do and be a part of this uh, church life and all of that for the last uh, 20-something years. So if you would, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, verses 12 through 18. That's what, kind of what we're going to be looking at, especially the end of that today. And uh, I want to just, how many of you guys have seen the mural that's right out there on the wall? Just that. So I just want to say, I, I said thank you to Lucas, who was in the first service. And you guys back here in the back is Chris Guild, And he, he did that also with Lucas. So they put that all that thing together. It's really awesome. And I like how it personalizes the building, and it's got a cool vibe. You know, I've had a, I had a couple of people say, what's the, the, the arrow? What does that mean? And, 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 and I was like, I, I think it means, like, that's the door. And you, is that, is that kind of, that, that is it. Okay, wow. I'm deep. I just got the inner meaning on that thing. So, but it's, it's awesome. It really is. There actually is some lot deeper stuff out there, the city, the river, all that. And so we're thankful for those guys. Also, don't forget, uh, there, we are doing some prayer and fasting this week. Woo! Shout me down. Um, so we're doing some prayer and fasting on Thursday night after uh, dinner. So you eat and then, and then eat again on Sunday. So anybody that wants to join us in that, we would love for you to do it, even if it's just a day or you know, whatever you can do. On Friday night, we're having a night of worship and prayer up here. So we'll be just extended kind of... If you like worshiping and that kind of thing, it's like with worship with uh, expansive, just a, you know, it's just, there's not a rush. And so, uh, so it's a great time to come and pray and worship. And we've got some things we're wanting to pray through and we're excited about that. And I'm excited to jump into this message that I've entitled, Follow Jesus and Become Like Him. Remember, we're in a series on the good life. And so we're saying, what are the basics that, that we need to be doing to walk that out? And so First week, we talked about um, God is good, and He loves us, and He sent His Son. We know that He loves us. We know that He's good because He sent Jesus. The second week, last week, we, talked, we had a bunch of baptisms, and so we, we talked about that when we walk through baptism, you know, we're, we're stepping into a new life and a new story and a new people, all of that. And so today, we want to talk about following Jesus and becoming like Him, okay? So the discipleship kind of piece a little bit. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 3.12. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 12 says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses. That's the contrast here. Is Moses, the old covenant, and, and Jesus, this new covenant. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains whenever the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Powerful. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
And Father, today we ask that you would bless your word, the reading of Scripture, the, the ordering our lives according to the life of Jesus revealed in the Scriptures. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and together say, Amen. So we're in this series on the good life. And, you know, one of the things that I've been trying to highlight is that the good life as it's commonly talked about is it's kind of illusory. It's, it's like an illusion. It's, it's, you, you grasp at it. Is it success? Is it getting enough money? Is it sex? Is it power? Is it control? Is it getting, I've got these goals and I finally get these goals in life? What, you know, is, and, and then you get there and how many times have you heard about some multi-million dollar rich movie star, you know, person who's miserable and they divorcing for the ninth time or whatever, and they're, 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 they want to kill themselves or they're in drug rehab or, you know, whatever. And my point is to say the good life as it's commonly pictured isn't always the good life. Okay. Yes. Amen. Okay. And I just want to set you guys free. If there's anything I say about Jesus that really encourages your heart, you could say something like, yeah, All right, that's, that's good, or amen, or preach it, or you go, go, Jamie. Or, I don't know. We're just we're, we're interacting a little bit today with each other. So on this good life thing, uh, you know, Yancey sent me an email I thought it was great. By, it's a blog by a guy named Kelly Flanagan, and he his question he asked at the start of the blog was, what's the difference between the good life and the redemptive life? And the, the, the deal he's, he's, he's hitting on is what I'm just talking about there is that the good life is, you know, you, you, put, you lean your ladder up against these different walls and you climb up it and you realize, hey, wait, this isn't as good as I thought it was going to be. I've gotten everything I wanted, you know, but if it's not lived out in the Jesus life, it's going to be found lacking. You know what happens in life? Stuff. <laughs> it's deep, isn't it? I'm just stepping out there, getting bold. You know, stuff does happen. Hard things happen. Things that we didn't plan on happening happen. Hard things in relationships, hard things in finances and school and setbacks and, uh, and I got to go deep and try to figure out what's going on there. All that kind of stuff. Weeds happen. Well, let me explain. Back to Kelly Flanagan. He told a story about how he moved into this neighborhood and he couldn't believe it. His neighbors were so welcoming. They invited him over, had a bunch of the neighbors come together, had a meal. He said, they just wanted to tell me they were glad we were in the neighborhood. He said, I was having to just pinch myself. This is, this is wonderful. Some of the people start filtering out and then it gets a little more honest. And some of the neighbors start talking about the house down the street that somebody would moved out of. And it was just run down and weeds were everywhere. And it was just an eyesore in the, in the neighborhood. Now, this is totally a parenthesis. First service didn't get what you're about to hear. What, when I was in high school, I was in a band called Euphoria. And, uh, and uh, we had a phenomenal uh, songwriter. It was kind of like Neil Peart for Rush. And he's basically about that style. He's great, great drummer. But uh, we, we had this song called The Castle Down the Street. The Castle Down the Street. Castle Down the Street. Castle Down the Street. There's one in every neighborhood. Property values begin to decrease. I've got a cassette of that somewhere. So, so anyway, they're talking about the castle down the street. 
there's weeds, the neighbor's getting upset. He goes, now I'm having to pinch myself again because I'm going, where is this going? This is getting out of hand. And then suddenly, one guy stands up in the middle of this downwardly spiraling neighborhood little meeting, and he says, you know what? I know, I know where I can get some equipment that can help us figure out this situation and, so, and, and work on it. And then other neighbors said, you know what? I've got this. And somebody else said, I've got this. And within five minutes, they had worked out how to fix that broken, weedy situation. Now, it's a great picture of what life is like. Life is like lots of redemptive moments and opportunities that we can choose to participate with God in and make things better. Or we can hold out this illusory ideal of the good life when actually, really, life is just lived through all the stuff, through the hard things that happen, through the weeds that rise up in our lives, and we have to, to see how, how are we going to respond to this and, and bringing Jesus right into the middle of it. And, you know, what I want to say this morning is that God, He wants to do something in our hearts. And he wants to change something about the way we think about, about life. And he wants to put, you know, the reason I like that, that if, where's Ashley? The, 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 I, the thing I like about that is it communicates vision. You know, if is like, what if? What if we lived this way? And you know, God made us to long for that kind of an imaginative, hopeful, uh, future of possibilities. That's why we talk about new creation so much around here. It's because we want our hearts to be inflamed with possibilities, to dream, to not be satisfied and, and with just the status quo. It's always going to be this way because that's the way it always was. There's more for us. And so we look ahead and we see, you know, wow, God, things aren't the way right now they ought to be. There's weeds here, but you're wanting to bring that future into this reality. You're wanting to bring the kingdom of God as it should be, heaven breaking into earth. That's why we pray the kingdom prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. You know, your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. And so we want to be people like we talked about last week, stepping through the door of baptism and into the new reality, the new life, the new story, the new people. This people that God's brought together from every tribe and language and nation and tongue and all of our diversity, and He's made us to be one. You know, we go around, we break the, the bread. It's, it's, it's crackers, but, it's, but the idea is we are one. There's one loaf. There's one cup that we share. And we, again, there's practical reasons why we don't do, you know, one cup. We went to a church while I was on sabbatical and we did one cup. It's different. Uh, I, I, Kim didn't like it. I like, I like the little cups. But the, the point there is though there's one body. The walls are down. He's brought us together. There's a new story that we're living by. And it's absolutely awesome. We love him and we love his people and we're living in this story together. How many of you guys want to live a life that matters? You know, it's just God, God made us that way. I there's just something in me. I want to do something that matters for eternity. And so 20-something years ago, God put Acts 13, 36 on my heart. It became a life verse for me. You know, that David served God's purpose in his generation, and then he died. And I was like, yes! You know, that's epitaph stuff. That's put it on the tombstone stuff. Serving the purpose of God and then dying. 
And I'm not trying to be morbid. It's just we're foolish to not realize that we're going to die. And why not think about that future and live in ways that are moving toward that? You know, 300 and something years ago, Jonathan Edwards said, I resolve as a 19, 20-year-old, I resolve to, to, to live my life in a way that if it was the last hour of my life, I'd want to be living that way. If I was just about to go meet Jesus face to face, I want to live that way. And that's what I'm talking about, just having a, a creative, dreaming kind of perspective. What does that life look like? What do we do practically? And I just want to say that it's rising above the way we normally think. What is the carnal mind? The carnal mind is pretty much what's going on all the time. It's life. It's the mind apart from Jesus. So any of us, just, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you can't have a carnal mind. And you can do it, actually, I don't know what the percentage is, but a lot. Somebody say amen. Just, it's possible, you know. And so the carnal mind is just life apart from God. It's not just like you're lusting and thinking really sinful thoughts and you know, I'm going to figure out how to take over my company. and it, That's not just necessarily, it's, it's anything apart, <laughs> this random, uh, not in the notes. And so, so it's, it's, it's just life apart, disconnected, doing my own thing. That's the carnal mind, you know, the carnal mind is, is like that. So it's God's wanting to get my mind. He's wanting to get my heart. On the next couple weeks, we're going to be talking about in the good life, part of, part of us being transformed is from our hearts and it's in community, and it's in our minds. It's the way we think. Moving past toxic, dragging you down, negative opinions that are just you and just me, and having a mind that's transformed by the love, life, grace, peace, hope, joy of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. So, um, you know, that's, that's, that's how we do this. That's, that's how we... Walk this thing out. It's very basic, and it's good news. And I think, as you'll, you'll see as we get into this even more this morning, you, it, it's basic, and yet I'm working on it. You know, I'm I'm trying to figure it out still. You know, I'm I'm in process. And you know, when we talk about knowing Jesus, it's like just it keeps opening. The further you go, the more you see there is to to know and to walk in Him and to walk with Him. And here's, if I was going to just say, if we get to the end of this message, if we could just say, we've got to, we understand what the goal is. And do you know, uh, how do I say this? The goal just, a lot of times we think, uh, I'm a Christian now, I need to be in fellowship, I need to, uh, I need to know some stuff, do some Bible studies, I need to grow a little bit, but I want to get more specific. I want us to just say, if we could just say our goal is to be disciples that are being transformed into the image of Christ. I mean, that'd be good, wouldn't it? We are disciples that are being transformed into the image of Christ. We are disciples in the kingdom of God that are seeking the kingdom. and It's the reign of God. We're seeking Jesus and what he wants for our lives more than anything else. And here's the main thing. Jesus wants us to look to him and to be his disciples who are being changed into his image. So let's, uh, let's talk about this. Let's break it down. I'm going to break it down into kind of three pieces. The first one is this. We need to intentionally look to Jesus. 
That's what's going on here in verse 16 of the passage that I read earlier. So Paul's talking about the old covenant. And then something different happens when you look to Jesus. So he says in verse 16, and and for me, this verse has been a life verse for a long time. I don't know, 18 years. Somewhere along in there, I thought, this is incredible. Verse 16 says, even to this day, uh, when Moses is read, a veil covers their heart. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And I just want to say that for some of us this morning, you need to hear that. That whenever you turn to the Lord, what has been blocking your vision is removed. And so it, it's, it's absolutely critical for us to be people that look to Jesus and then translate life through the lens of Jesus Christ. I mean, just this is, this is huge. There is a way of looking at this, even the Scriptures, if you don't look at it through the lens of Jesus, that you can harm yourself and you can harm other people. I mean, horrific things have been done because people were looking here without looking to the Word who is behind these words. Without looking to the Lord who is over these letters, if that makes sense. So Jesus, you know, if you looked at Jesus, then you wouldn't go, oh yeah, it's a good idea for us to go kill them. For us to go reap mayhem in their country or, or whatever. And I'm not trying to do a pacifism message. It's just, it's, it's just we got, if we look through the lens of Jesus, we see things different. And his primary lens for us is love. I mean, this is basic. And so what I'm saying is this veil is like, it's like having on sunglasses, but they're blacked out. Or, or there's just a little bit of light coming in, and I can just barely, barely see. But whenever I turn to the Lord, the veil is removed. These, these glasses are lifted up, and I can see him as he is. And I can understand the scriptures the way he wants me to understand them. Not the way I want to understand them in darkness. With my, with my, with my eyes covered, you know. And so, and there's lots of things, you know, for the Israelites, you know, it was the covenant. It was the law. They're looking at the stone letters, but they're missing Jesus. Jesus comes to the Pharisees and says, John 5, 39, 40 says, look, I'm right here in front of you. You study the Scriptures all day long and you are missing God in the flesh. I'm filling that out. But he's saying, you're missing me. These Scriptures are about me. It's all about seeing me. And so they're, they're doing this. They can't see Him. They're not, they're not turning to the Lord for these to be lifted off. Do you think we have some of these on in different parts of our lives? You know, you know, if we're looking at life through what is the success story of the American deal, whatever, you know, materialism. Well, when I turn to the Lord, I get a new perspective about money. It could be my busyness. I'm freaking out. I'm busy. I'm stressed out. But when I turn to the Lord, I get a different perspective about that. I, you know, what I think is a success in life or, or you know, power or, you know, I want to take over my business. I, here we go again. I'm going to use that one. I don't know why. Um, but, but when I turn to the Lord, it's like, you know, everything changes in the light of His presence. It's, it's whenever anyone turns to the Lord, they see. 
And, you know, just a couple of verses later in that same passage, what does the enemy want to do with people everywhere? It says the God of this age, talking about Satan, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the glory of Christ, the gospel of the glory of Christ. And it's in his light that we see light. It's like, wow, you know, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face, where? Of Christ Jesus. So, you know, God's wanting us to see the Lord, Jesus. The Father's wanting us to see Him and appreciate Him and, and, and the enemy's wanting to blind us. Just tapping around opinions, I think this and that, and I think this and that, and just being real bold and loud about what I think. When He wants us to see Jesus and change, it changes our story, changes our life, changes the way we refer to everything, the way we uh, process things, the way we see life. So, um, when we turn, the veil is removed. Back in, uh, I do want to say this too. In the 1700s, there was this guy named William Cowper. And I think he wrote this song. Uh, uh, I forgot what the song is called. I remember the line, I want to remember it's called. Prone to wonder... Kenny, you might know it. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Anybody remember that from you growing up? Older, older guys. And I was just going, wow, that was late 1700s. He's right. And then I'm, what's going on in the 1700s that's, I mean, what they do? They went out in the fields and did, <laughs> how many distractions are there in the 1700s? They didn't have the internet, cable. They didn't have smartphones. I think, I think we have it harder. <laughs> I think. Prone to wonder. And uh, back in January, uh, Jimmy Seibert, who leads the movement that we're a part of called Antioch, uh, he did this vision message down in, down in Waco. And, uh, and, and he had this tagline. He said, this is what I believe is the word of the Lord for us as a movement for this year. And it, it, the, the, the phrase was undistracted for him and for them. Undistracted for him and for them. And it's a good word for us in the 21st century with all the possible distractions that we have in front of us. It's good for us to, to go, I want to keep turning to the Lord. I want to keep turning from this stuff and, and looking to Jesus so that I can see so that I can have my life changed and transformed and be on this path, this basic path of looking to Jesus, receiving from Him so that I have something to give for them, undistracted for Him and for them. And we all have to live this thing out in different ways. You know, I, I just want to say, hey, let that, let that challenge you. Let that, you know, ask some questions. You know, how's my heart? How's my mind? You know, on the distraction Factor versus looking to Jesus. Okay, we all have to live that out in different ways. But uh, when he doesn't have our minds, he doesn't have our attention. When he doesn't have our attention, he doesn't have our imagination. If he doesn't have our imagination, then it's hard to be thinking about what's supposed to happen out there. But if he does have those things, imagine, you know, several hundred people living this way where he does have our minds, he does have our attention, he does have our imagination, and we are like a door expressing heaven 
on the earth. That's what He wants to do through us. That's what He wants to happen in our marriage, marriages and in our workplaces and in our schools and all those different kinds of things. So that's the first one. Look to Jesus. Second piece. And we're going to get to the become like Jesus, but, but I want to touch on something else first here. And that is that we need to intentionally follow Jesus. So it's like the looking to Jesus, is, it's, it's intentional, but there's a passive thing that's happening in us as we're being changed. But the following Jesus is an intentional thing. We say, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he's not asking you to be something other than that. When Jesus comes and says, follow me, follow me, you know, he doesn't say uh, different things that are often said today, you know. And I just, I want to keep us remembering, oh yeah, we're supposed to be followers who are being transformed into the image of Christ. Disciples being transformed into the image of Christ. That's where this is going. That's what, what we want to see happen. So, in a, in a chapter where he's right toward the end of his life, Jesus, in John chapter 14, excuse me, John 15, he's giving his disciples kind of some final, some final thoughts. And one of those thoughts is, I want you to abide in me. I want you to be like a branch that's connected to the vine. And it's in that connection that you will experience life as it's supposed to be. And really, apart from that connection, apart from the connection to me as the source of life, you kind of miss what, what everything's about. Apart from me, he says in John 15, 5, you can do nothing. But in John, he goes on down, and he says some things about following him. In John 14, verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And here we go. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So I'm going to break it down, but it's, it's, not, it's not complicated, you know, it's can only be lived by the power of God in our lives. But it's not complicated to understand in the big picture. This first piece, remain. Remain in my love. Abide in me. You know, uh, years ago, I heard uh, a guy named Graham Cook share a story about, he got a word, he, he was, had something to do, he was looking at his dog, and somehow he felt like God was saying, yeah, you're kind of like that on your attention span. And the Lord was saying to him, Graham, Stay, stay, stay. You ever feel like that? Like, wow. <laughs> just, oh man, I just, my attention, just going crazy bonkers, you know? And, and the Lord's saying, stay, stay with me. Ben, stay with me. You know, stay with me. Aaron, stay with me. You know, that's what the Lord's saying to us. Stay, remain, stay focused. And look at the, the next little piece there is to do the commands. And so in the big picture, it's, there's a general command, which is uh, love, love one another, right? Love each other. Doesn't that help to like know it's not super complicated to understand what God wants us to do? Y'all know I'm being really, this is, I mean, it's not, it's not complicated. 
It's the specifics. It's not the, it's not the general one I'm worried about. You know, it's the specifics that I have trouble with, right? So what would the specifics be? It would be like being patient with someone that really, really tries your patience. Okay, so that's, that's a good way of loving, right? So all the one another's of the New Testament are opportunities to kind of do the practicals. So being patient, forgiving the person that hurt you deeply, right? That's a practical on learning to love one another, walking this thing out. What else? So being patient, being long-suffering, being forgiving. You know, I mean, what do you think? Is there, isn't there like about 20 of the, there's 60, 100, 10,000 different ways that we are tested in this, in this, in this, uh, in this issue? Uh, letting Being slow to offend. Being quick to forgive. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Practicing humility. Going the way of the cross. This downward kind of process that we are called to walk in as we follow Jesus. You know, so all of those would be practical ways of walking out obedience to this. And my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. But then there's this great promise. And uh, the promise, you know, the way motivation works for most of us, I mean, there is the threat of judgment in the Bible. And so we want to avoid the negative, you know. And I'm I'm motivated by, by avoiding the negative. And when you sin or you get into stuff in your life, you realize, wow, that did not work out good. That was painful. Whack two by four, you know, and you're just kind of stunned. You're like, man, I don't want to do that again. Bad. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, ouch, you know, sin, bad, not good. You know, so there's, there's the negative side, but then the positive side is over here when he promises joy. I want my joy to be in you, and I want your joy to be complete. You know, and so, you know, it's like, it's both and, but man, I'm really motivated by the joy. I really, I want to get all into the middle of that. The delighting in God piece. The Westminster Catechism, number one, says that God, you know, that our chief end is to glorify God and to fully enjoy Him forever. When did they write that? 15, 1400, 1500s, 1600s. So, for a long time, it's like right, right up at the top. People get this thing about fully enjoy God forever. I want to do that. I want to be right in the middle. That's one of the things on my sabbatical that uh, the Lord was really highlighting. Look at the delight in God verses. You know, that was like a, a riverbank for me on the, during the times. Just rest and delight in God. How many of you guys have ever heard of a lady named Julian of Norwich? Okay, so... Julian of Norwich was this famous prayer lady. And she lived in 1200s. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm just throwing random centuries out. <laughs> 1200s, it's close. Um, close enough for, for this morning. And uh, so, so she, she lived, uh, uh, it was like in a convent kind of thing. And she, was at a, she, was, she had a room where she was kind of just in there by herself. And they would slide food under, under there. And she was just married to Jesus. And she just lived a life of prayer 24-7. 
And she wrote this killer book called Revelations, which isn't hard to understand that she would have some, like, you know, you're 24-7 on point with Jesus all the time, you know. And so, you know, one of the great things that, that uh, she talks about, a great quote from Julian is, she says, uh, she says, the greatest honor that we can give to God is to live gladly because of the knowledge of His love. Okay, the greatest honor that we can give God is to live gladly. Now, doesn't that sound like a good kind of thing? That I, I don't know that I've thought about it like that. James Bryan Smith, I was reading it in his book on discipleship, and he said, wait a minute, I thought it was to die on a mission field. I thought that was the greatest honor I could give God, was to go somewhere and die for Jesus and be a martyr. And it was challenging him. It was a different story. He had this one story of just unbelievable horrific sacrificial effort, you know, and just, you know, takes the bullets and dies for Jesus, however that looks. looks. And so, but, but this other story is a story where because of the great love of God, we want to live as people that know what delight is like, what joy is like, that our, our faces are affected, our, our eyes are affected by the joy of God, you know, that we're not it just that's the song that's just kind of playing, you know, like, hey, what's that song going on around you? It's just, you know, just kind of minor, you know, everything's Moonlight Sonata for you, you know. I just, that song is so sad. No, it's just the saddest song ever. I can't listen to it. I always cry when I listen to it. But, it, but he's... He's saying, hey, I want my joy to be in you. I want your joy to be complete. There's another story that I want you to live by. It's a story where you know my love and you live gladly because of it. And it's not a story where there's no trials or you don't have to go through hard things or any of that, but it is a story where you find and walk along in the good life because God is in your midst, because he's, you're living life with him. <sighs> Let me pause here. That's cool. Julian quote was up there. Oh, that's, that's good too. Um, let me pause here. So this is second service, so they're working with me. Um, there's some obstacles to living in this way, where we look to Jesus, where we follow Jesus. And, you know, some of the biggest obstacles aren't the bad sins that we think of as, you know, it's not like... Uh, I'm going to go out to the red light district tonight and go see if I can, you know. It's, it's not that. It's, 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 uh, it's more like religion is an obstacle to live in this life. Religion versus the relationship of just knowing Jesus and walking with him. So when I say religion, I mean like a, a system of, you know, where you, you kind of keep a list. You've got ten things you do really well, and then you start judging and evaluating other people on whether or not they do the list because we're always in our mind kind of, you know, it's me, you, or I see you, and y'all go, wow, you, me, you know, and there's this thing going on. And those are obstacles, religion versus relationship, law versus love versus loving other people. And the manifestation of it is judgment versus love. Okay, so Adam and Eve eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they start making judgments. It's our, it is our heritage that we make judgments disconnected from God. And that is what the fall is all about. 
And when I make judgments about you, what I've found is I just can't know what's totally going on in Ryan's life. I'm not in a place to judge him. I'm called by God to love him. And, you know, because none of us can ever, it's, the only way we can do this is by being connected to God. It's the only way. By living in the life of Jesus. It's the, it's the only way. And so, you know, Ben has some hurts and stuff in his past. He does something, comes at, you know, there's some kind of friction, you know, and I don't know what all's going on there. I'm not in a place to judge him. God calls me to love him. But I can't judge him with God's love and love him at the same time. I can't judge him uh, in my own uh, opinion and, and, and love him at the same time. What we inevitably end up doing in all of that, we create our list. And, you know, if, if we don't live in love, if we don't live in this place of walking with Jesus like this, we will, we, it's the history of mankind to be religious, to be religious apart from relationship with, with God through Jesus Christ. And so, you know, your, your list might have 10 things on it. It might have 20, 30. And, I mean, if you're really, really good, 35 or something, and you've got a big list, and you, you evaluate other people, it's constantly this thing going on, you know, and is, do, do people fit my list? And if they don't, they're down the food chain. Make sense? You guys are looking at me like you've never heard this concept before in your life. Like a cow at a new gate. Okay. Growing up on the farm, as I did, that's a joke. That was the punchline. Uh, but I guess a cow. Uh, <laughs> let's move forward. I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> the, cow, the cow looks at the gate. It's funny to me. I, so, back to the sermon. You know, the way, how do we do this, you guys? The practical ways that we do this, it's like I have to live life with people. I cannot, I cannot do this on my own with a blue spandex suit, you know, and there's a silhouette of me on the mountaintop, you know, and you can see the, the, the cape blowing in the wind. That's not how this life is lived. It's actually lived on the ground with people. Just life on life, a brother meeting with a brother, discipleship. It, it's lived out in these small group communities that we call life groups, you know, that, are, that have this common purpose of being disciples who are walking together, being transformed into the image of Christ. Okay? And there's something about having that common goal of transformation that we actually help each other live the life out together. It's a together thing. It's a community thing. It's not an isolation and I, you know, I wanted to do this so that you would see and remember in your mind, you know, it, I've got jeans and a shirt on, but you can imagine me in a, in a blue spandex, Emily's saying, don't do that. Okay, <laughs> but the, you can imagine, you know, solo, Jamie, solo, plug your, your name in, plug, solo doesn't work. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't last. I can't make it. I can't make it doing that. I need brothers. I need sisters around me to walk this thing out. Um, you know, and it's uh, in our movement, uh, a couple years ago, we drafted some uh, values statements. And I want to just throw these up just to give us some handles.
for what it looks like when we're doing discipleship, when we're doing life group together, when we're doing community together and being the church, you know, this loving one another relational thing looks like we honor others in person and behind their backs. We honor one another. We lift others up. We think the best of them. We, we, we say, you know what? There's no way I can know what that person's thinking. What went on to lead up to that point, to them to get to that place, to make that decision. I can't know, but I want to honor them in person and behind their backs. We choose humility by focusing on Him and them above ourselves. The way of the cross is this downward. You know, the Greeks would say that, that it was a progression upward. But that if you really think through everybody that's like just trying to make this spiritual progression upward, it so clashes with the incarnation and the cross. Because Jesus makes this downward, downward, downward. And it's in the downward, uh, the word is called kenosis in Greek. It's the emptying of himself that down there is where we actually connect with God in the most radical way ever. And it's as we do that same thing ourselves, we humble ourselves by focusing on him and them. We find that we connect with other people and we can actually live this life out together through our own humility. And taking this low road. Does that make sense? We are committed to a relational culture. Living life together. Being in community. Being in relationship together. We embrace brokenness. So brokenness is like not broken, not working. Like, like you know, crash, the wheels are off. But broken like, I can't do this apart from Jesus. And a recognition that if God doesn't step in here, I can't live this life apart from Him. And a dependence upon Him. A, a, a radical kind of connection. You know, where we jump into more and more, you know, our own brokenness about relationships or our own judgments or our own opinions and the way we look at other people. We live authentic lives. That just means being real. And I know sometimes when I'm real on Sundays, you know, it... it it makes people uncomfortable, and then other people say, I appreciate it, because it makes it seem like, you know, I can do it, you know, and that's, that's the life. It's, it's, it's us living in this kind of humility. We always forgive. Can we just say that together? We always forgive. We always forgive. Now, do we forgive just when it, we're in a tender kind of frame? before the Lord and I feel that worship was really good. I'm going to forgive them now. I'm under conviction. I need to forgive. Like, what if we said, here's some dreaming about the way things ought to be. What if we always forgave every time, all the time, until we die? There is no other way to actually live the life than forgiving. It's just we forgive as Christ has forgiven us and we keep a teachable heart just, again, I want to learn from other people. That's the, how we do the one another's. And so then the last piece then is, is that we intentionally become like Him. And it's interesting because there's some, that's, that's a bit passive. I mean, there's a passive piece of that. We look to Jesus and we become like Him. Why is that? We look to Jesus and it's like we are a mirror that reflects what Jesus looks like. So I look to Jesus, I turn to Him, the veil's removed. I turn to him, the veil's removed. I turn to him, the veil's removed. And then more and more, I start looking like the Lord. 
like Jesus. And it's like I'm reflecting what he looks like to the world around me. And, uh, you know, Jesus in John 17, 24, he's, about, he's finishing up the high priestly prayer there. And he says, Father, I want the ones that you've given me to be with me where I am so that they can see the glory that you gave me before the creation of the world, this glory that's marked by love. This glory that is marked by, by love. And the way Jesus says it there in John 17, 24 is, to be with me where I am, to see my glory and, and, uh, that you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So, you know, one of the, one of the things I want us to get here as we're talking about glory is, is that glory is connected to love, okay? And this glory thing is promised there in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. This is what's going to happen to us is that we're going to be changed. We're going to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. As we, who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into His likeness, into His image, with ever-increasing glory, which just means more image, more image, more image, more of that glory, more of that love, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, what's the goal? What did we say at the start? If we could just be disciples, everybody... Remember this? Disciples who are being transformed, changed into the image of Jesus. So, disciples who are being changed into the image of Christ. Wouldn't that be an awesome goal? Disciples changed image of Christ. So, looking to Jesus, following Him, becoming like Him. So that's just... You say, well, man... That sounds a lot like what you say all the time. It's true. It's true. It's it's interesting thing is the more you look at Jesus and the more you contemplate the love of God, the more you allow yourself to be swept into the triune love of God, the more you're going to find that there's there there's more there to see. There's more there to enjoy. There's more there to embrace and to be embraced by. Yeah, and in contrast to whatever it is that the, Lord, the world is saying that the good life is, we are saying that the good life, the best life, the life that God's calling us to is found down this road of, of knowing He's good, of being, living life by a different story, His life, different, being a different kind of people, a new kind of people, but also being disciples of Jesus who are being transformed into His image. Just basic. But it will order life for you in wonderful ways, and the promise is that you'll receive joy, the joy that's just not just fleeting, but it's the joy of Jesus in your lives. And that's good. It's good news. Lord, help us to do this. Stand up if you would.